0: This morning we are beginning an eight-week series, a topical series entitled, What We Believe. And it is modeled after the great truths that are found in the Apostles' Creed. And so we will be going through the great fundamental truths of the faith. Each week we will be going to the scriptures to teach us But we won't be going consecutively through a book as we were when we just finished Ephesians. We'll be going several verses, several passages typically each week until we conclude this series. And then we will pick up the book of 1 Samuel. We will turn back to the Old Testament and learn about Samuel and David and Saul and the work of the Lord in his kingdom. But the text that we will look at in the main this morning are 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, and 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. Let's begin then with 1 Thessalonians. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's Word. For the Word of the Lord is completely sufficient. The Word of the Lord is completely authoritative. And the word of the Lord is completely without error. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 And we also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers and then if you will now turn over to second timothy chapter 3 we pick up at verse 14 but as for you continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Let's pray together. O Lord, our God, we come into your presence to hear from you in your word. And we ask this morning that you would teach us, that you would teach us that you have spoken, that you have spoken to us in the scriptures. We pray, O Lord, that this would be an encouragement to us that when we read the Scriptures, we would hear your voice. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, this morning we are beginning, as I said, a new series called What We Believe. And we will be going through the Apostles' Creed and looking at the main doctrines of the faith. This is important for us at this place and time because we are becoming as a society less and less a society of wisdom and knowledge and more and more a society of mere information. We don't know what's right and what's wrong. We don't know what's true and what's false. And if you were to doubt this, all you would need to do is to see the recent spate of stories about fake news about news that is completely made up and false. Now, it used to be that if you wanted to get fake or sketchy news, you needed to go to a grocery store. And you would go and you would get in the checkout line and there would be one of these publications, I use the word loosely, that would inform you that Elvis had been kidnapped by aliens or that the earth had stopped spinning on the continent of Africa, or some such other demonstrably provable falsehood. But today, because we don't have the knowledge that we should have, because we don't study as we ought, we fall for fake news, for falsehoods, for untruths. You can see this also anytime you watch one of these man-in-the-street interviews, where they will walk up and they will ask, Who fought in the Civil War? And someone will say, France? Germany? When you say, what century was the Vietnam conflict in? The 18th century? The 14th century? And we just understand that people do not know the truth the way they should. But the problem for the church, then, is that Christianity is not just a state of being. Christianity, our faith, is not just a feeling that we have internally. It is based upon historical events. And it is based upon a set of beliefs that we know and study and understand. And so we are going to study these fundamental beliefs. The Bible... God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the church, sin, forgiveness, and resurrection. And we will find some surprising results because one of the things we're going to be doing each week is looking at what the scriptures teach and comparing them to what the world or even the church says it believes. Recently, Ligonier Ministries got together with LifeWay Research, the research division of the Southern Baptist Convention, and they conducted a survey of people in America. And it covered a whole range of types of people demographically. Young and old, married and single. Those who call themselves evangelicals, Roman Catholics, those who are secularists, those who are of other faiths. And they ask them questions designed to get a true answer, not an answer that was expected. You know what that's like. Sometimes when someone asks you a question, you know what, how they think you are supposed to answer. This happens quite frequently between parents and children. There's only one right answer. And as a child, you have to figure out what it is. Well, the survey is designed not to do that. It's designed to get at what the person actually believed. And you can see in our insert here this morning, they asked the question, do you agree or disagree with the following statement? God is the author of Scripture. Now, 85% of self-described evangelicals, that is, those who believe in the core doctrines of Christianity, the resurrection of Christ, the deity of Christ, 85% of them said, I agree with that statement. Now, I'm not even going to get into this morning how 15% of people who are putting their trust and faith in Jesus don't think God wrote the Bible. But let's look even at the general population. 60% of people in America generally, according to this survey, agree with the statement, God is the author of Scripture. Now look at the next question that was asked. Modern science discredits the claims of Christianity. And I want you to see that 50% of not people in America, not people wandering around a mall, 50% of people who consider themselves evangelical Christians agree with that statement. That's shocking, isn't it? That 50% of self-described evangelicals would say that science shows us that the Bible isn't right or true. This tells us that we have work to do in the church in America so we're going to begin, Lord willing, here this morning. We're going to begin with the Bible. We're going to understand what the Bible teaches us about itself. We're going to look at that great foundational truth that the Bible is the Word of God. But then we're going to look and also see that not only is the Bible the Word of God, we're going to see that the Bible is the key to salvation. But even beyond salvation, we will see that the Bible is profitable for all of life. You see, the Bible is at the foundation of our faith. And we're going to look and see what that great truth means for you and for me. So we are beginning here with the Bible, and the Bible ...as the Word of God. The first reason that we understand that the Bible is the Word of God... ...is because it comes from God. Now we are studying, as I said... ...a series based on the Apostles' Creed... ...and where we are now is we are actually going behind the Creed. If you'll notice in your bulletin... ...the Apostles' Creed begins with the phrase, I believe. And then it is going to go down through and say... ...each of the things that we are to believe as Christians... Now, when soon as you say, I believe something, it implies that you know about it. Because how do you believe something that you don't know? Right? There are all sorts of things about math that I am not able to believe because I have no idea at all about them. I don't have that knowledge, that information. For us to believe the great truths of the faith, we must first know about them. But where does that knowledge come from? That knowledge comes from the Bible, from the Scriptures. The Bible is our source of understanding about God, about ourselves, about sin, and about the world. You see, our God is a God who speaks. Some say that answers to what we believe come from God. Others say it comes from the Bible. Still, others will say from creation. But really, we're talking about the same sort of thing. We're talking about God speaking to us through His Word and through creation. Our faith is in a God who speaks. Our hope is based upon God, and God gives meaning to the entirety of the world. He is the only standard of right and wrong. You see, there are some who claim not to believe in God, but still want to make moral pronouncements of right and wrong. When someone says that to you, you should ask them, why is your right right? And usually all they can come up with is, because I want it to be. If there is no ultimate standard, why is it right a majority vote? And if right and wrong are cast by majority vote, why weren't the Nazis right in Germany? Why isn't ISIS right in the Middle East? But you see, what we profess is, is that rightness and wrongness, moral standards come not from our own thoughts, not from a majority vote, but from very God himself. God is the God who speaks. Now, because God is the God who speaks, we must also understand that Christianity is relational. Think about the heart of the Christian faith. At the heart of the Christian faith is the sending of God's Son to redeem a people from their sins. Why would God do that, except for to have a relationship with His people? You see, it makes all the sense in the world that God speaks, because He wants a relationship with His people. And God speaks first in creation. Creation speaks of His order, of His goodness. You see, creation tells us that God is a God of order. It is not a coincidence that the earth is exactly the right distance from the sun. A little bit further away, and we would be an ice cube. A little bit closer, and we'd be a fireball. Earth is exactly the appropriate orderly distance from the sun for life. Think about the seasons that we experience how they affect our lives, and the earth, and the soil, and trees, and animals, in orderly fashion. They're so orderly that we are put off when they don't work the way we think they should work orderly. I can remember more times than I would like, living in Buffalo, New York, when a snowstorm would descend in late September or early October, and that was just against my very fibers of being, because it wasn't supposed to snow that early. You see, we understand that the seasons have a rhythm to them. Think about how you get food. Now, I don't mean where you park in the HEB parking lot or which line you get in in Kroger. No, I mean, how do you get food? Well, you get food from farmers, right? From those who who grow crops and fruits and vegetables and bring them to H-E-B so that you can buy them. But even though there's much work to be done in farming, think about what a farmer does. He takes a seed and he buries it in the dirt and he hopes and prays for rain. He's completely dependent upon the Lord. You see, God speaks to us of his existence and his order in creation. But creation cannot reveal everything that there is about God. And so for this reason, God speaks again. You see, our faith is about our need. We look around us in the world and we see the sin that surrounds us. We see videos of attacks. We hear about people being robbed. We know that others lie. We know that there is sin all around us. But even more than that, we know that there is sin within us. We know that we get angry with people when we ought not. We know we mistreat people. We speak harshly. We know we do not love others as we ought. We see that there is sin everywhere in the world and in ourselves. And so we want to be free from that sin. And the question then comes, where do we find that? God speaks specifically about who He is, what is wrong, what we need, and how we can be restored. And where He speaks is in the Scriptures. God has spoken throughout history. Now, not everything that God has spoken is in the Bible. You may recall that the Apostle John, at the end of his Gospel, said, if I wrote down... All of the things that Jesus did and taught, the world would not be big enough to hold all of the books that I would have to write. We know that God spoke to the fathers, to Abraham and to his forefathers, but what God has spoken and written down in the scriptures is for us. So that it can be preserved for us and so that we can propagate it. So that we can distribute his message. What God has put in the Bible is exactly what we need. It is the story of salvation in Christ. It is everything that we need from God. No more No less. That's what the Bible is. God speaking to us. And that's why the Bible is central to our faith. Paul understood this. You see, when Paul went off on his missionary journeys, he didn't just talk to the Thessalonians. He brought them the Word of God. Now, that may seem confusing at first, because we think, well, Paul, how did you bring things you didn't even write yet? But you see, the Word of God is not limited to what Paul wrote. Paul had the Bible of his day. When Paul went to the Thessalonians, he brought Genesis. He brought the Psalms. He brought Isaiah. He brought Jeremiah. He brought Amos. He brought the Word of God. And as he brought it to the Thessalonians, he wanted them to understand that it did not come from him. It was not written by men. It came from God. Himself. Now, notice that Paul does not claim wisdom for himself. I think if Paul were a modern man, he would have gone into Thessalonica and said, Now, listen to me here. Let me give you my credentials. I'm a church planter extraordinaire. I studied in the best schools in the area. Let me tell you, I've been through all kinds of hardships... I've seen all kinds of situations. I am an expert in the faith. Listen to what I tell you. But that's not what Paul does. He actually does the exact opposite. He says, don't listen to men. Listen to God. He says, I'm so glad that you heard the word from us and that you took it as the word of God because that's what it really is. Paul is so thankful for this. That he says, I constantly thank the Lord that this is how you took the word of God. We believe that the word is the word of God because it also testifies that it is from God. Now, how were the Thessalonians to know that the word was from God? Is it because Paul said so? Is it because they had to? Why do you know that the Bible is the word of God? Is it just because the pastor tells you that's what you have to believe? Is it because mom and dad say this is what we believe and this is what you will believe? No. You see, after all, there were many competing writings in Paul's day and today that claimed to be divine or that claim to know truth. The Bible makes its own claim to be the word of God. It does it over and over again. Here are just a few examples. In Acts chapter 4, Peter is preaching, and he says, You have spoken through the mouth of our father David, the Holy Spirit said. Now stop and think about that for a moment. David was speaking but the Holy Spirit was speaking. As David was speaking and writing the Scriptures, it was God speaking. There's another example of this. Psalm 95 was written by David. And in Hebrews chapter 3, it's quoted. But the quotation doesn't say, as David wrote in the Psalms, the quotation says, The Holy Spirit says... And then it quotes Psalm 95. So it's clear that the Bible treats itself as being the Word of God, spoken by God. We also understand that the Bible is powerful in what it does. And this power shows us that it is the Word of God. When Paul was battling the Jews in public, he did so by the use of the Scriptures... And Acts 18 describes it as Paul powerfully resisting the Jews because he used the scriptures. You may recall that Hebrews chapter 4 describes this power of the word of God. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Bible is powerful. The Bible also describes itself as the Word of God because the Holy Spirit, God Himself, gives witness to this. Peter writes in his second epistle, chapter 1, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Over and over again, the Bible claims to come from God. Now, this is, I think, why we speak of the term inspiration. You know what inspiration is, don't you? Inspiration is when something has life breathed into it. It means to animate something, to give it life. And so we often speak of the Bible as being inspired by God. And that is true as far as it goes. But If we look at our text here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we see that Paul actually describes the Bible in another way. He says in verse 16, All scripture is breathed out by God. Now, do you notice the difference? Inspiration is to breathe in. Expiration is to breathe out. But they really describe the same sort of thing. Because you see, when Paul says that the Bible is breathed out by God, what he means is, its source is God himself. It comes from the very mouth of God, as it were. All scripture, not just the red letters, not just the favorite verses, not even just the parts that we understand well. All of the scripture is breathed out from God. Well, the second thing that we see is that the Bible is the key to salvation. Because without the Bible, we cannot know salvation itself. We need to understand the solution to our need if we are to obtain it. Think of it this way. Have you ever had the opportunity to put together a many, many piece puzzle? Now, I'm not fond of this. But, but Deb is. She likes to put together puzzles. And one of the very first things that she does is she lays out all of the pieces, and then she takes, guess what? The box top. And she sets it right in front so that she can see what the final puzzle is supposed to look like. Now imagine I asked you to put together a 3,000-piece puzzle without a picture of what it was supposed to finally look like. I mean, it's laughable, right? There's no way you could do that. You wouldn't even know where to start. So why is it that we think we can come up with the solution to our lives, our relationships, and our being reconciled to God without knowing the solution ahead of time? You see, it makes sense that God would have the solution and that God would communicate that to us, and He does that in the Bible. And the Bible is also clear that it contains the solution. It tells us that salvation is found in Jesus. Now this makes sense because unless the Bible told us about Jesus, how would we even know about Him? Let alone know the solution. How would we know that our need is for Jesus unless God were to tell us in His Word? Do you know what the worst kind of danger is? It's when you're in danger and you have no idea you are in danger. It's when you're in your house and a part of the house is on fire and you have no idea that there's smoke or fire. It's the most dangerous you could be because you don't run away, you don't take precautions, you don't try to solve the problem. You just sit around and act as if nothing is happening. But you see, the Bible speaks to us. Rather, even more, God is speaking to us in His Word. And this puts the Bible at the heart of our faith. Now, we have to understand that we do not worship the Bible. Because of how... Christians hold the scriptures in high esteem. Some will argue that we worship the Bible, that we worship this book. That's not true. But if we are to worship God, then we need to know who God is and how we are to worship Him. And so we ought to listen to Him tell us who He is. Oughtn't we? You see, if we are to be right with God, We must follow the path that He has given to us. And that path is laid down in His Word. Let me be very clear. The Bible does not save. Jesus does. But in order for us to know Jesus and to know the path of salvation, we must have the Bible. You see... The Pharisees were in error after this sort. In John chapter 5, Jesus tells them, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. That is, the more you understand the Bible, the more you memorize the Bible, the better you are at Bible quizzes, the more saved you are. But Jesus says that's not true. It is the Scriptures that bear witness of me, he says. You see, we have the scriptures because they bear witness to the Savior, to Jesus Christ. The Bible is the sure place to find salvation. You see, the result is that we go to the Bible to find the clear place where Jesus can be found. John puts it this way in chapter 20. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Do you see the chain? Do you want life in Jesus? Then you need to believe in Him. Do you want to believe in Jesus? Then you must hear about Jesus in the Scriptures. We find Jesus in God's word so that we might believe upon him so that we might be saved. That is God's way. The Bible is the sure place to find salvation. That's why Timothy had the scriptures from childhood. Paul puts it this way in verse 15. He says, from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Now the sacred writings there is Paul's way of saying the Bible. He's saying, from the time you were a child, you had the book of Exodus. You had the book of Proverbs. You had the book of Job. And the Bible is always pointing to Jesus. It's put this way in Acts chapter 10. To Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. All the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Amos, all of them, they point to Jesus Christ. And for this reason, the Bible is what makes us wise about salvation. It tells us all that we need to know about salvation. It is clear about salvation. Now, when you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ... You don't need to start out knowing everything perfectly. For some of you, that's probably a sigh of relief. You may have wondered, well, I thought because the people sitting on the other end of the pew knew everything, I had to know everything. Because the person in front of me knows everything, I have to know everything. Let me tell you a secret. None of y'all know anything. The pastor doesn't know everything. We cannot get to the bottom of the scriptures, but we have to begin with Jesus. And that's where the Bible takes us. Because this allows us to have faith in Christ. You see, faith is not a blind leap in the dark. Faith is not something that we hope for against everything that we know. No, faith is a trust that is founded on facts. And faith has a sure object, that is Jesus. That's why the Bible is important for you. You don't need any other place. God has not left you in doubt. He has not left you in need. The scriptures are the place where you find Jesus. But the good news of the scriptures is that the Bible does not stop to be useful to us after we come to know Jesus. You see, some would think that, okay, we need the Bible to get to know about Jesus in order to have faith in Him and to be saved. But once we get saved, we could put the Bible on a shelf somewhere as a nice Because after all, the Bible is a really old book. And it's written in languages that I can't even read. So I understand it needs to tell me about Jesus. But I'll put it on the shelf. And really, if I need to figure out how to relate to my spouse, aren't there surveys that I could read? Aren't there books and studies and talk shows I can watch that will help me? If I need to understand what it means to live in a household with my parents and my children, can't I just get that? from podcasts, or from the internet, or from somebody's blog, like a really good blog. And so you see, we make the Bible limited. But the truth of God's word is is that it is useful to us, it is profitable to us each and every day. We cannot go out on our own. All of the Bible is important, not just John 3.16. It's not just the New Testament that we ought to read. It's not just the Gospels. And all of this is important, Paul says, because all of it is spoken by God. All Scripture is breathed out by God. God does not waste His breath. Every portion of the Bible is useful. And oftentimes... It's in the areas where we least expect it. You know what I mean. It's the time of year when one of our New Year's resolutions is to read through the Bible in a year. And we start out like gangbusters in January. We're in Genesis and we're reading about Abraham and the story of Joseph and then we turn into Exodus and then there's Moses and then there's plagues and there's a mountain and there's the Red Sea and there's all kinds of exciting stuff going on. We're going to get through the Bible in a year this year. And then we hit the book called leviticus and if you read too much of leviticus late at night you fall asleep because it doesn't have an exciting storyline it's about this sacrifice and that sacrifice and this blood and that blood and this law and that law well let me tell you that one of the clearest places in all of the bible to find jesus is in leviticus Because every place where there's a sacrifice, it speaks of and should remind you of the sacrifice of Jesus. If you ever think too lightly about the cross, read the book of Leviticus and picture a calf having its throat slit and the blood flowing. And the cross will take on more meaning for you about the sacrifice that Jesus made and about the blood that was shed on Calvary. You see, every single part of the Bible is for us. It's what we need. And Paul says this when he says that all of the Bible is profitable in verse 16. It is profitable because it is a very practical book. It contains instructions on relationships. It contains instructions about work. It tells us about government and how we are to relate to the government. It tells us about love and what that should look like and how it should act. It tells us about service and how we are to serve others. When Paul says that the Bible, all of Scripture is profitable, what he means is it is advantageous. It has value for you. Now we need to understand this. Sometimes the Bible doesn't immediately seem like it's valuable to our lives. It's kind of like another New Year's resolution. You know the other one we all make? To go to the gym. To lose weight. So you go on January 2nd to the gym, keeping your New Year's resolution, and you work the Stairmaster, you run some laps, you maybe even swim a bit, you lift some weights, and then immediately you lose 30 pounds, right? No. You have to do that, what? Day. After day, after day, after day. And if you don't do it day after day after day, what happens? You don't lose 30 pounds. You have to have the long-term end in mind, and you have to have the immediate action leading to the long-term end. That's exactly what the Bible is like if we want to form in ourselves a character that is more like Jesus, if we want to be more faithful, if we want to be more loving, if we want to be more patient, if we want to be more kind, you don't just wake up in the morning and say, Pastor, I'm going to be very patient and kind this year. Good luck with that. What you need to do is to study the scriptures day after day after day so you can learn what it means to be patient and to be kind. And so you will be formed more and more into the image of Christ. Now, lest you think that I'm just making this up, Paul uses the exact same analogy. He's a preacher, so he gives you an illustration. He says, while bodily training, exercise, is of some value, same word as profitable, godliness is of value in every way. So just like we understand that exercise gives value, studying the scriptures and becoming more and more godly is valuable to us. It is something we should desire and want. And what that means is we must go to the source of all of our knowledge about the world, about God, and about ourselves. But the Bible does more than just teach us. Paul says that it is profitable for teaching, but also for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now, what does it mean for the Bible to correct us? This Greek word has the connotation to set something up on the right path. It's often used to describe the renovation or reconstruction of a building on a foundation. To put it on solid ground. What that tells us is is that the Bible is given by God to us so that we may improve our lives, so that we may be more and more like Jesus, so our path could be corrected. But it also, Paul says, reproves us. Now, I don't know if you know what reproving is. I venture there are not many homes where Dad comes up and he says, Son, I reprove you. What does that mean, Dad? Well, what it means is something more than correction. It means discipline, it means a rebuke. It means not only do you need to be put on solid ground, you're headed off in the wrong direction. Get out of the quicksand, son, and get on firm ground. Because you see, ultimately, we do not judge the Bible. The Bible judges us. It is used for correction and reproof. And that is because it is God's standard. He speaks to us His standard for life. Lastly, Paul says that it is profitable for training in righteousness. Now, the word for train here is often used in the ancient world to describe the process ...of making a child into an adult. But here it means more than that... ...because it is training in righteousness. Now it is true that in Jesus Christ... ...we have a righteousness that comes from Christ. But Jesus is also forming His character... ...in each of His children. How does He do that? Through the Bible... You see, the end of all of this is that we would be the person that God intends us to be. And the place where we see that, where the goal is set, where the path is laid out, is in the Scriptures. So I'm here to tell you this now, young and old. You are never beyond the Bible. You will never have reached the point in your life in Christ where you can set the Bible aside and it has nothing to say to you, it has no use for you. You see, Paul tells us that the Bible is profitable for the Christian life. It is the place where Jesus is found, where we come to faith, and then after we have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, it is the place where we learn how we are to live. And none of this should surprise us because it is the very Word of God. It is not a self-help manual. It is God's instructions and commands to you. That's why this is the foundation for everything that we believe. As we go on in successive weeks to look at the great truths of the Christian faith, we're going to be spending time in the Bible. Because that's where we learn of these great truths. The Bible, no matter what the world may say, is the very Word of God. It is the place where you find hope. It is the place where you find wisdom. Because it is the place where you find Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to You this morning... We come knowing our need, that we indeed need you, Lord. We need to hear from you. And so we ask that you would point us to your word. We ask that you would make us be found regularly in your word, that we might meet Jesus there, that we might come into your presence. For this we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen.